Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we ask that my stumbling lips and my thoughts would conform to your image, would conform to your will, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you because you are our rock, you are our redeemer. Lord, I pray that the Spirit would work through my words, that we as a church would be changed, that we as individuals would be receptive to the words from Philemon. So Lord, whatever is distracting us today from last week or whatever we are looking for forward to this week, Lord, I pray that it would be put away so we might focus on your word. Father, we are grateful that in your sovereignty you had us last week studying the book of Philemon as a church. And through your providence, we are now receiving this letter through the proclamation of your word. Lord, I pray that you would have your way with us according to your own word for our good and your great glory. Amen. You can turn with me to the letter of Philemon in the Pew Bible. It is page 1195. You'll see in your bulletin insert, the title of this sermon is called The Anatomy of a Forgiving Person. The Anatomy of a Forgiving Person. Why is it titled that? Well, typically, you are able to recognize a person by his or her anatomy. What is a forgiving person? You look at their anatomy or their attributes. In our culture today, it is common to ask the question, what is a woman? It's a silly question. You look at the anatomy. You look at the design of the person. What is a man? What is a woman? You recognize them by their attributes, by their anatomy, by their design. So it is with a forgiving person. How do you know who is a forgiving person? You look at their attributes, their anatomy, their design. I think that's one reason why the letter of Philemon is added to the scripture. Why the Lord saw, saw it fit that we have his words in the book of Philemon. It's interesting, Philemon is the only letter to an individual that is not specifically a pastor or some sort of missionary like Titus, a pastor like Timothy, or like Titus, who's a missionary. Philemon is just your average Joe. Sure, he's named as a fellow worker, but he's never mentioned in Scripture otherwise. Archippus, his son, is mentioned in 
the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 17, and he's mentioned as one. He is given by Paul. He says, fulfill your ministry that has been given to you. It seems to me that Archippus is probably the church leader in, the, in Colossae. And it's entirely possible that Philemon may be a pastor. He may be an elder. I mean, he's obviously a fellow worker, but in all reality, every Christian is a fellow worker for the gospel. And so we have this little letter here to Philemon. And we wonder why we as a church have it. This is a very personal letter. There's a lot of very personal information and commands. But it is written also to the church that is in his house. So it is to us. What this tells me is that your faith in God, your relationship with God, is extremely personal but it is not a mere private thing. Your faith is very personal, but it is not a mere private thing. And when there is issues within the church, when there's issues between two people within the church, it affects the whole church. And therefore, Paul has this very personal letter written open to Philemon and his congregation meeting at his house and to us, the whole church, to gain from it, to learn what are the attributes of a forgiving person, what is the anatomy of a forgiving person. It is not uncommon to hear the words that we are to forgive. It's even in the Lord's prayer, forgive us as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. So we have this great letter to Philemon, just your regular church member, hardworking, faithful husband and father. This is probably the closest you'll ever get to a personal letter from Paul. You'll see his heart for his people, namely in Philemon. We need a little background to this letter. Philemon is, well, we know he, he is hosting a church, and that church is in Colossae. And this, you know, Philemon somehow, okay, so more background. Who is Philemon? Philemon is a man who is saved by grace. He was saved under Paul's ministry. Paul, then a church is planted, and this church is meeting in Philemon's house, Okay. Somewhere within all this time, maybe it's even before Paul or before Philemon was saved or afterwards, one of his slaves, Onesimus, steals something from him of value or takes whatever, runs away, goes, ends up in Rome, where Paul just so happened to be, just so happened. And Paul through the ministry of Paul, Onesimus is converted. It's amazing. Onesimus is somebody who's very useful to Paul. We see later in the letter, verse 11, Onesimus was formerly useless to you, but now he is useful both, both to you and to me. So Onesimus is saved in Rome, becomes very useful to Paul, but Paul knows 
that it is not right for him to keep Onesimus, but to send him back to Philemon, even though Onesimus was very useful to Paul, who was in prison. So, he sends, and we know this from Colossians chapter 4, Paul sends Onesimus and Tychicus with two letters, the letter to the church in Colossae, which was supposed to be shared um, elsewhere, and this letter. And I wonder if Onesimus is the one carrying this letter. And I can't help but imagine Philemon and the church meeting in his house, and all of a sudden, in walks in Tychicus and Onesimus. How would Philemon feel? How would the church feel? Talk about, have you ever had those situations where there's two people that kind of blow up in some situation and then you're just kind of a bystander, you're not even involved in this, but something's happening and you're just like, it's kind of awkward. Onesimus walks in. And Philemon is sitting there. The congregation is looking to Onesimus, looking to Philemon. Looking to Onesimus, looking to Philemon. What is going to happen? Well, here are two letters, and we get to see the letter to Philemon. We get to see how Philemon is going to respond and why he's going to respond this way. So we have that background of Philemon. But Paul points to three major attributes. There's, I'm going to throw in some more, but three major attributes that Philemon possesses that make up part of the anatomy of a forgiving person. Three major attributes that are essential to a forgiving person. Okay? Let's look in verses 1 through 3 for the first attribute. Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Apphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A forgiving person is radically changed by sovereign grace. A forgiving person is radically saved by sovereign grace. We know this by, we have the first word here, Paul. We know Paul. We know Paul that he was a persecutor of the church, but he was radically changed, proclaimed the gospel. Philemon, Onesimus, the church in Colossae, saved because Paul was saved, went on his mission, and There's a new church. There's new salvation propagating. And because of those missions, because Paul was proclaiming the gospel, he is put in jail. So he goes from from one persecuting the church for one being in prison because of his work for the church. Radical change. But not just that. And you can read about that in Acts 8 starting in verse 8, where Paul's persecuting the church, and throughout the rest of Acts, you'll see his radical change. 
sovereign grace changed Paul radically. But we also have people like Timothy and Philemon and Philemon's family that are named here. Radically changed. Radically changed. And I say radically changed because of what the gospel did between a Jew like Paul and a half-Jew, half-Gentile Timothy and a full Gentile like Philemon. How Paul calls them brothers. He calls Apphia a sister. Radical change from alienated from God as Gentiles to being brought into the family of God as brothers and sisters in Christ. The hostility, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, the hostility between Jew and Gentile, the hostility between God and humanity has been abolished. There is now peace between Jew and Gentile in Christ. There is now peace and reconciliation between God and man in Christ. This is a radical change. Radical identity change. This change comes from grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is sovereign grace. What's great is that we're working with the uh, youth through um, God's sovereignty in salvation. We need a radical change because Ephesians chapter 2 says we were dead. But then Ephesians chapter 2 goes on to say, but we were, are made alive together with Christ. And then later in Ephesians chapter 2, and we are made reconciled between God and man and reconciled between one another where we can call each other brothers and sister. Brothers and sisters in Christ. If we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we are saved by sovereign grace. That is one of those marks of a forgiving person. In fact, you can only be a truly forgiving person if you are truly forgiven. You can only be a truly forgiving person if you are truly forgiven. And that forgiveness comes from the grace and mercy of God, our Father. Paul always starts his letters these way. These way. These way? This way? Okay. Paul always starts his letters this way. With the grace and mercy of God. Why? Because we need it. Why? Because Paul tends to say some things that we don't like to hear. Because Paul gives commands. There are things that we need to do because... I should. Am I preaching from Ephesians chapter two or or what? Because Ephesians chapter two says that we are through grace, through faith, we are saved, not of our own works, so that we may not boast, but it's from God, so that we do the works that He has created for us to do. We have some work. Paul's got some work, and he's got he's got some hard things to say. So he starts with grace. You are saved by grace. You are saved by God's grace. The sovereign grace. And that changes everything from the person. Everything. The way you work. The way you use your home. The way you speak. The way you relate to other people. The way you relate to Christians as brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel changes all of that. 
And we see in which ways this changes us in the next couple verses. But first, I guess this is my question that I have. Are you a forgiven person? Have you received that grace and mercy from God? Do you trust Christ alone for your salvation? Have you repented of your sin, turned from it, and from the power and by the power of the Spirit of God? Are you fighting your sin today? Are you in the family of God? You do not need to be a pastor or someone special within the church. You just need to be an ordinary Christian. Someone forgiven by God. You don't have to be a super Christian. Just someone forgiven by God. What are some of these attributes? When, when you say, am I a forgiven person? Am I a forgiving person? Let's look on and see a bit more of what this looks like. What, what, what are the attributes of somebody who is forgiven by sovereign grace? So look at verse 4. We'll look through verses 4 and through 7. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing, which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. A forgiving person is full of faith and love. This faith and love. Now, Philemon's faith, Paul didn't have to hear about. He experienced it in his conversion. Paul knew that Philemon had faith. But also, he thanks God because of the faith that he heard about. This is a faith that works. This is a faith in which Love is produced. Now the wording here is a bit interesting. Verse 5, I hear of your love and your faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward the saints. So, you know, a question I had is, okay, is there faith toward the saints? Is it, what kind of faith is this that's toward the saints? Because you've got faith and love, Jesus and the saints. Well, I think that the uh, Schlachter version in German says it best when it says, Weil ich von deinem Glauben höre, den du an den Herrn Jesus hast, und von deiner Liebe gegenüber allen Heiligen. It's as clear as that. <laughs> I suppose I should translate that so I don't speak in tongues without having a translation. The NIV actually says this clearly, I think. It, the, the NASB, what's happening is the NASB is being very strict with the, with the Greek. Okay? So it is following that pattern of love, faith, Jesus, saints. Okay? But a lot of commentators say that this is somewhat of a, cha, a, a chiasm. It's, it's a chiastic structure. A is at the beginning, then B, and then you've got B, and then you've got A. So you've got the love for the saints and faith towards God. 
Okay? Now, faith could also mean faithfulness or a radical commitment to someone, like a covenant that you make, like marriage. And surely, Philemon has a great commitment to the saints. He has a radical commitment to the saints, hosting people in his house for the church's sake. So I think it is kind of this chiastic structure. I think that, that Philemon, because Paul knows this, because he keeps hearing it, he's heard it from others, and even perhaps from Onesimus, that Philemon has a radical faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And that produces that an immense love towards the saints. This is a faith that is not a dead faith. It is a faith that is a living faith. Faith and love works out in three major ways. We see it here, starting in verse 6. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. So I think what's happening here, Paul is kind of getting Philemon ready here. You have a great faith. You have a great love. And I know this. I pray that that faith continues to be effective, that it doesn't wear down, but that it is continually effective because I've got something really hard to say to you in just a moment. Paul continues, For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Three major ways this faith and love works out. It brings comfort and joy to others and refreshment to the heart of the saints. Now this comfort and joy is specifically Paul's. Paul has comfort and joy because of Philemon because of Philemon's faith and love, his faith in God, his love toward the saints. And as I'm reading this, I think to myself, am I one who, if my pastor had to write me a letter, could say this to me, you have brought me much joy and comfort. Much joy and comfort. Am I the type of person who refreshes the hearts of the saints? I know there's been times in my life where I haven't been. This is something we are striving for. Hebrews 13, 15, and 17 says, Through him then, Let us continually offer up, that's through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. 
Pastoring comes with much grief. Most of that grief comes from the saints who are not refreshing. Paul receives comfort and joy from Philemon because Philemon refreshes the hearts of the saints. How? Well, we saw in verse 2 that, Paul, that Philemon was hosting the church. There's no indication that Philemon was a pastor where he had to do this. He's a regular old businessman going about his day, gets saved, starts refreshing the hearts of the saints with whatever he can offer. I've got a house. Can meet here. We see also he refreshes the saints by training his son, by teaching him diligently. Archippus in Colossians 4.17 is mentioned and, and is told to fulfill his ministry that was given to him. He's just doing what he's supposed to do. So how were the saints refreshed by Philemon? Just the everyday faithfulness of an ordinary Christian. Just the everyday faithfulness of an ordinary Christian. Someone who works hard, leads his family, provides for his family, provides for the church, loves God, loves others. He's not one who dries up the bones of believers, but refreshes their hearts. We need to take an honest look at our life and our interaction with the saints. The questions I came to just for myself. Am I one who always tears down or complains? Is always divisive? Do I complain that the music at church is too loud or it's too soft? There are too many old songs. There's too many new songs. There's not enough psalms sung here. It's kind of a little bit of a joke. The sermons are too long or too short. Now, there is kind of a running joke in our grace group that we want three-hour sermons and all that stuff. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the fun stuff we're talking about. But are you really annoyed when, when pastor goes over his 52-minute average? <laughs> there are people who legitimately complain about the length of sermons. Sometimes it's too short, sometimes it's too long. There are people who legitimately complain about the music. Then they complain about the way a ministry is run. Then they complain about who is running a ministry. Then they complain about something somebody else in the church said. Then they complain and are divisive about something else. Maybe not even in the church. Do you dry up the bones of the saints or do you refresh the saints? Always thinking the best of the believer. Confronting someone with a loving spirit just to your brother or sister in Christ. Just talking to them in love with truth. Or do you send off an email to a pastor 
this person did this thing and said this thing. What's really interesting is the boys just started baseball, and one of the rules is that you cannot send an email to the coach for 24 hours. It's a cooling off period. I've got a suggestion for you. If you have a suggestion to one of our pastors, maybe wait till Tuesday. Spiritual things do take a little bit more effort, a little bit more patience, and a little bit more wisdom than complaining that my son didn't get enough playing time at first base. Do you bring joy and comfort to the pastors or grief? Here's my suggestion. Stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Stop holding a grudge. Stop being a sourpuss. But you know what else? What about your own personal life that is really, truly affecting and coming out in these other ways? I wrote some things down here that I think. (laughs) Do you ever have this problem? (laughs) (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we all are struggling with our sinful nature. We all struggle with our sinful nature. I don't have to list your problems. I think you could make a pretty good list yourself. So I'm not going to read that list. In Christ, you have so much to offer than complaint. Go back to that Hebrews passage. Maybe I didn't have you open to it, but Hebrews 13, 15 to 17. This is what you have to praise. Continually offer up through Christ, a sacrifice of praise to God. Give thanks to his name. Do not neglect doing good and sharing. Turn away from the sinful nature, the complaining, the grumbling spirit, the divisive spirit, because we have so, something so much better. The Christian life is not just a life of don't do this, don't do that, quit doing this, which is a list I had written down, but praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Put your hand to the plow, work hard, be productive, build a family which stands firm on the faith. Read the Bible to your kids, enjoy your marriage bed, have a quiet and gentle spirit, set your face like flint to accomplish the mission which the Lord has set before you. This is glorious. This is good. The Christian life is about something that's good. It's about refreshing the hearts of people. We put away the falsehood. We put away the sin. We put away those hidden sins, not because we feel bad about them, but because we have something more glorious ahead of us. Let your faith and your love refresh the saints. Do you want to be known as someone who is bitter, holding a grudge, and drying up the bones of your fellow saint? 
someone who gives grief to their pastor, in Christ we have something so much better. We've been saved by sovereign grace, and a faith that works, works through love. And that love brings comfort and joy, and that love refreshes the saints. Brothers and sisters, this is a hard thing to do, and Philemon knows it because he's staring at the face of Onesimus. Think about those people who have wronged you, and some of you have been extremely wronged. But when somebody comes to seek reconciliation, what right do you have to put them out when you seek reconciliation to God through Christ and he accepts you? Do you have the heart of the unrighteous servant who was forgiven much and then he found the other servant who owed him a little bit and put him in jail? Oh yeah, I'll take all this grace from God, but I am not giving grace to this brother or sister who's seeking reconciliation with me. Or are you like the father and the prodigal son who's just waiting, who is waiting for reconciliation? I tend to think that is actually potentially Philemon's heart. You say, well, why would, why would Paul write a letter to Philemon if that was his heart? Because this is still a difficult work. Because we battle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. And they are still battling with us. This is Paul helping Philemon put on his armor for spiritual battle. Because forgiveness is spiritual warfare. Let your faith and love refresh the saints. Should we turn to Romans 12 again? These are our fighter verses. It's amazing the way God works. It's like, pfft. None of this was planned. Let's just remind ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verses 11 through 13. Is that right? Those are our fighter verses? Okay. Okay, verse 10. Let's start at 10. <laughs> Let's start at verse 9. But you know what? Let's start at Genesis chapter 1. Let's <laughs> Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Lord. Rejoice in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints practicing hospitality. This is Philemon, and Paul is reminding Philemon of these things. Brother, you, you're a co-worker. Brother, you host the church. Brother, I see your faith and your love working out in great ways of comfort and joy and refreshment. Brother, the Lord is at work in you. And we come to number three. 
humble and teachable towards spiritual instruction. Humble and teachable towards spiritual instruction, verses 8 through 9. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is interesting. Paul says, Therefore, for love's sake, I appeal to you. Therefore, what's therefore? It's pointing back to something. It's pointing back to, his, to Philemon, all he's already said about Philemon. All he's already said about the attributes of a forgiving person. Philemon, I know you. Philemon, I know that this faith continues to work in love for the saints. Philemon, I have gotten so much. I've received so much comfort, so much joy from you. Philemon, you refresh the heart of the saints. This is why. For this love's sake, I appeal to you. Paul doesn't have to use his credentials as a servant of the Lord, as an apostle. Some letters he does. But not with Philemon. With Philemon, Paul says, I know you, Philemon. I know who you are. And so I'm going to appeal to you, brother. He's not going to command like a commander. This is, this is what it means when in Hebrews 13, obey in your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy. Otherwise, if you bring them grief, it is unprofitable for you. I have to say, I bet Philemon got great profit from receiving this letter personal instruction from Paul, a personal appeal. Philemon, brother, because of your love, I get to appeal to you. I have so much joy. I have so much comfort in you. You refresh the saints. I get to appeal to you for something so, so simple, something so simple as forgiveness. It's not easy. Something so simple. I appeal to you. Since I'm such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Look at what it's cost me, Philemon. It might cost you. Philemon, you're going to grow old, or maybe you are old. You might be a prisoner because of this. I'm a prisoner because of this, Paul says. But Paul gets to appeal to Philemon. He does not have to take out the rod of correction as he sometimes has to in some of his letters. We get to see a whole different side of Paul in this letter. 
we get to see this tender, affectionate, personal letter. It's interesting, um, Matthew Short one time made note that when I talk with the people, when I spoke with, I have to speak in past tense now, uh, with the members of Christus Gamandavine personally, just, just in person, as I talk with people, he says, you are quite gentle. Now, I'm not saying this to boast in myself. This is not why. But when you're in the pulpit, you can be kind of harsh. <laughs> That's kind of Paul's way of doing things. When he's got his letters that are, you know, to the whole church, he's, he's pretty direct. He's like, okay, guys, here's how it is. And here, when he's coming to Philemon, he's just like, Philemon, brother, I get to appeal to you. This is not something that is easy. It's something simple, but it's not easy. Therefore, I know you're going to need my encouragement. You're going to know that I'm behind you. And you're going to know that the church is behind you. They're listening to this letter right now. This affects how you live. When the Lord speaks through Paul and says to you, you are saved by sovereign grace. You did not earn this. There was no condition upon your election. Christ saved you. Because of that, you have been changed and has affected your whole life, Philemon. Brothers and sisters, forgiveness is no small matter. We go back to the letter that Onesimus might have been carrying, him or Tychicus. Colossians 3.13. Colossians 3.13. So this, this letter and Philemon, they would, have been written, they would have been read the same day, probably within a couple minutes of each other. Could you imagine... Philemon getting the letter from, from Onesimus and Tychicus and he's like, everyone's watching and he's like, oh, and to the church. Okay. I guess I get to read it out loud to you guys. These letters are written together, read together. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. I preached this sermon to Christus Gemeindevine February of 2020. The church was only uh, five months old. And it began with the illustration of a honeymoon. The honeymoon phase is a great time you haven't had enough time to squabble about anything. The honeymoon phase has been gone for how long at Grace Community Bible Church? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Brothers and sisters, there, there, there's a lot of turmoil 
that has been caused over 12, 13 years of a church. It doesn't have to be big, but I'm just saying there, there is reconciliation that does need to happen. There is forgiveness that does need to happen within our church. So the question is, are you a forgiving person? If someone seeks reconciliation with you, do you still hold that grudge against them? Now let's just look outside the church as well. Just not just, let's not focus necessarily on GCBZ, but just yourself. Are you a forgiving person? Do you hold grudges? Even when people have come and tried to reconcile. Do you refuse true reconciliation and forgiveness? Are you bitter and impatient? Or are you open to forgive? Has sovereign grace changed you so much that your faith and love refreshes the saints? Are you ready to forgive those who have wronged you and seek reconciliation? Bitterness and anger will destroy the church, but forgiveness and reconciliation, which is so much greater. We put things away because they are of no use and they are terrible. And we go towards things that are great and glorious. Not just because it's a chore or we're commanded to, but we are appealed to. Our forgiveness and reconciliation part of what you do? Do you refresh the church with your anatomy of a forgiving person? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to look into this relationship between Paul and Philemon for allowing us to look at how it is relevant to our lives, how these truths of Scripture speak to us. They put up the mirror. We get to see ourselves, the good and the bad. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church. Pray specifically for Grace Community Bible Church here in Lakeville, Minnesota. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be powerful among us individually, that you would work in us individually so that collectively as a people, we could be full of comfort, joy, and refreshment. Lord, outside of your people, the world has so much anger and hate, so much bitterness, so much darkness, so much depravity. They have so much confusion. They have so much that destroys. They have no hope. But Lord, your people have hope. Lord, your people have what is good. Your people have what is great. Your people have what they are designed to do, and that is to worship you. We are designed to be in right relationship to you and to our fellow brother and sister in Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would do that hard work in us to soften our hearts, to allow us to be humble and teachable. Lord, that we would have the marks of, 
of a forgiving person. Because we are forgiven people. And Heavenly Father, I pray for the churches around the world. I pray for those churches we're connected with. I pray for um, the church down in Bolivia, Pastor Alvaro. Lord, I pray for the difficulties within this church and the difficulties within the body of Christ nationally in Bolivia. Heavenly Father, I pray that these people would be transformed by the gospel, by sovereign grace. That they would recognize that the church has so much to offer the world. That it does not need to be divisive. It can stand on the truth of your word. Lord, I pray for unity of the spirit within that country, within the church in that country. Lord, I pray for Christus Gemeindevin and the churches in Austria that they would be a forgiving people. I know of so many church splits that happen. Lord, and it is because people are proud. It is because people do not have a forgiving spirit. Lord, I pray for a forgiving spirit. I pray that their faith and their love would work. It would be effective. Heavenly Father, I pray that as the church in America is going through great turmoil, Lord, I pray that we would stand on your truth and present the great and glorious things which we have of faith, hope, love, that we can thank our God, that we can praise our God, show them the greatness of being Christians, show them the greatness of being saved. Lord, I pray that the true churches would continue to proclaim your word boldly and accurately, that the gospel would transform not just our church here in Lakeville, but the church in America and the church all around the world. Heavenly Father, I pray for the needs in our church. I pray for um, healing of Joe and Joanne, our brother and sister. Lord, I pray for others who are suffering from different illnesses. Lord, I pray for the people in our congregation who are struggling in many ways. could be financially. It could be with work. Lord, it could be in their relationships in their own families. Lord, I pray that you would give us a spirit of forgiveness, spirit of faith in you, love toward the saints, that we could show to those outside of the church. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be a people who magnify the great and glorious word of grace. Lord, I pray that as we close our time here on Sunday, through the singing of your people, Lord, I pray that throughout this week it would change us in the way we work, in the way we interact with our wives and husbands, in the way we interact with our children, in the way we interact with our neighbors, in the way we interact with one another. Change us, Lord. Have your way with us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.